I want to spend a few minutes this evening talking about giving God glory. This is a different kind of message tonight. Um, you might want to get out a pencil and a piece of paper because what I did was a Bible study on the word glory and categorize the ways that we give God glory because it's, it's an important part of our lives as Christians. And there's a danger in not doing so. I remember so distinctly studying uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God and anytime God does something and we take the credit for it, we rob him of glory that is due him. We rob it from him. And that's a frightening thing to be responsible for. And so we need to realize when God works that, it's, that it is he that's doing it. And we be careful to give him the glory when he does so. Acts 12, 20 through 23 is a frightening passage about what happens to someone who robs God of his glory. It's not a pretty picture. Acts 12, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him in a body, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and made an oration to them. And the people shouted, The voice of a God and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord smote him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. It's not a very pleasant demise, is it? And then it goes on, The word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So it's kind of a, a brief interlude in this passage at the end of Acts 12. What happens when someone doesn't give God glory? Let's bow together. Father, you left us here for a reason. And that's to tell others about you and to live our lives giving you glory. Help us do so faithfully in everything, in any way, at every opportunity. Open our eyes to see you working. And when we see you working, give you the glory that's and the credit that's due only you. And not proudly puff ourselves up and think that we had anything at all to do with it. Because it's always you, God, always all you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, couched in between the story of the rescue of Simon Peter in verses 1 through 17 and the response to the gospel in verse 24 is this story of the death of Herod Agrippa. And the story of Herod's death is also told in the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus. Now, I have on my shelf in my study the... Uh, the works of Josephus, and he's considered a Jewish historian in a loose sense of the word because he didn't do history 2,000 years ago the way we do history today. When we do history today, we try to actually verify the facts and tell the truth. And Josephus kind of played fast and loose with the facts occasionally, and sometimes he would put himself in the middle of the story and he'd become the hero of the story. Um, but but a lot of times what he did say was historically verifiable. And he has in his History of the Jews uh, the accounts that Luke 
provides. Josephus gives us a few more juicy details. Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities located to the northwest of Palestine near the Mediterranean coast. And for some reason, they had an agreement with Agrippa to get food from his country, but they made him mad. And they arranged a meeting with him to try to regain his favor so they could begin getting shipments of food and paying for it. Well, according to Josephus, the king approached the Phoenicians at dawn wearing a suit of silver cloth. It says here that uh, he put on his royal robes. Josephus says a suit of silver cloth. And the rays of the morning sun reflected off that silver in such a way it made his whole appearance shine with unusual brilliance. And partly because of the brilliance of his appearance and partly to flatter him and curry his favor, the people cried out, Hitherto we have referenced thee as a man, but henceforth we acknowledge thee to be more than mortal nature. And Luke put it in verse 22, the people crying out, the voice of a God and not man, the voice of a God. They acted like Agrippa was a God, arrayed in that silver robe and a deep voice and coming at them at dawn. Luke says in verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord smote him because he did not give God the glory. Apparently there's no more serious claim, nothing any more important in life than giving glory to God. Look what happened to Herod Agrippa when he failed to do so. It's not a pretty picture. One of the earliest lessons in the early church, the opening of the question where they asked questions and the students would answer, what is the chief end of man? And the students respond, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything to the glory of God. And I remember C.H. Spurgeon, the, the wonderful British minister of a previous century, said that he used to love to smoke cigars and he did so to the glory of God. Everything he did was to the glory of God. The primary purpose of my life and your life and everyone's life who is a Christian, the one thing that Herod Agrippa did not do is to give God glory. So if that's what we're supposed to be doing, we should know how and why and when we are to do so because failure to do so has dire consequences, doesn't it? First of all, I'm going to talk about what and why and how. What does it mean to give God glory? If we're supposed to, if that's our chief purpose in life, we need a clear understanding of what we're supposed to be doing and of what God expects. Well, the word translated to glorify appears in the New Testament 58 times. And it means to magnify, to honor, to laud, to exalt. And a definition in Webster says to make or seem bigger, larger, better, more beautiful, to enhance, to enlarge, to expand. So to glorify God means to expand God to those around us, to make him appear even more beautiful, even more wonderful, even larger, even greater than than, than people ordinary, or earlier thought he was. God is great, but when we magnify his name, 
we enhance and enlarge him for those around us. Now, God is, God is awesome. God is powerful. There's nothing we can do to make him bigger. But to those around us, by glorifying him, we explain how he is bigger. We explain how he is greater, how he is more um, wonderful than even people might have assumed. So we do that for those around us. That's the purpose of our life. That's what glorifying him means, to enlarge, to expand, to live our lives in such a way that reflect positively on him. That's what it means. Why do we do it? Well, we glorify God because, simply because he made us. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So God made us. He brought us into being. He gave us everything that we have. It's only right that we honor and glorify him. That's the first reason we should. The second reason is because he saved us. In the third chapter of Ephesians, Paul discusses the provisions of God for the salvation of man. And he says that with the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. And he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory. Because of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we should do all we can to glorify him before man. And finally, we should also glorify God because look what happens to those who refuse to do so. They die a horrible death. It's the lesson of Agrippa in our text. And so, if glorifying God means to enlarge him, and we do so because he created us and redeemed us, then how should we do so? And this is where there's about eight points I want to give you that have text in the New Testament where glory is given to God for a certain reason. How do we do it? Let me spend the rest of my time this evening. Several suggestions from Scripture and just a few things about each one. The first one, we glorify God by acknowledging His Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. We glorify God by acknowledging His Son, Jesus, as Lord. Paul declared to the Philippians. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth, and every tongue confess, what? To the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you bow your knee and you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you do so to the glory of God the Father. You identify yourself publicly with Him. You turn your life over to Him. And that's where you begin glorifying God with your life. That's the starting point. Acknowledging Jesus is Lord. Secondly, you glorify God when you obey His commands. 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul tells the Corinthians... They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
I've been a, a sermon series on the commands of God. We, we are familiar with them, but we don't always obey them so well. It reminds me of a speed sign on our national highway. It said, speed limit, 55 miles an hour. Those obeying the speed limit, please move over to the right so you won't blow, block the flow of traffic. That's the way it is. Have you ever been on 285? Get out of the way if you're going the speed limit because you'll be the only one. Most of us are that way about the laws of God too. If it slows us up or cramps our style, we ignore it or we rationalize it. But the purpose of our lives is to glorify God. And the Bible says that one of the ways we glorify God is to obey the commands that he gives us. So acknowledge Christ as Lord, obey his commands. Thirdly, this is going to sound strange. The Bible actually says we glorify God by doing good works. Matthew 5, 16, the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about it. Let your light so shine among men, what? They may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul had the same idea in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 when he called us ambassadors for Christ. It's the watchword for our RAs. An ambassador is someone who goes to another country and represents our nation in the eyes of that country. So what the ambassador does, how he talks, where he goes, how he relates will determine the impression that those people have in that country of our country. If he's a good man, he'll bring honor to the country in their eyes. If he's bad, he'll bring disgrace to our country in their eyes. And this is the principle that's at work in our lives as Christians as we live out in this world. We are citizens of another country. And God has made us his ambassadors to represent him here on earth. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. Salvation is already ours as a gift by grace. But we do good works to show the world that we're Christians. And the Bible says they'll... We, They'll know we are Christians because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So then why do we do good works? Why do we help others? Why do we love? Why do we show compassion? Why are we kind? The reason for all Christian acts is so that other people can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. If you take credit for the good works that God is doing through you, then you're robbing him of the glory that this verse says is to be his. Give God the glory who is in heaven. Obey his commands. Do good works. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Fourthly, keep yourselves pure. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. I think a lot of people don't understand the fact that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong to God. No matter what our sex-saturated society suggests, when you abuse your body, when you misuse your body, you are dishonoring the Almighty God who so wonderfully and perfectly knit you together. When you keep yourself pure, on the other hand, in an impure world, 
then you give God glory. You bring glory to Him. Often it seems like we don't give, we don't go far enough in this matter of personal purity. I heard, I heard a story about an older man who prayed at church often. And he said, oh Lord, please clean the cobwebs out of my life. And he said that on several Sundays repeatedly, oh Lord, please clean the cobwebs out of my life. And finally a teenage girl who knew him well interrupted one of his prayers by saying, Lord, don't just clean out the cobwebs, kill the nasty spider that keeps making the cobwebs too. It's not enough just to confess our sins if they've been committed. We have to repent of those and quit going to the places and stop hanging around the people and stop filling our minds with the garbage that will inevitably lead to sin. When the world sees a man or woman who lives a pure life and does so because they love the Lord God more than they love anything else, then God will be glorified in their lives. So glorify God by living a pure life. Your body belongs to Him. Take care of it for His glory. Fifthly, we glorify God by offering Him praise. And that's in the Psalms. Psalm 50, 23, Whosoever offereth praise glorifieth me. When we gather together with other Christians in worship, when we sing with a a joyful voice, when we count our blessings and see what God has done, when we offer Him praise, then the Bible says we bring Him glory. So bring God glory by offering Him praise. And sixthly, you're not going to like this one. We glorify God when we contribute generously to His cause. 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul says of the Corinthian Christians, they will glorify God for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. 2 Corinthians 9.13, the generous contribution to his cause, people will glorify God. When we give with such generosity and freedom that every financial need is met, the most important result is not that the pastor is pleased or the finance committee is relieved or the skeptics are convinced, the greatest result the Bible says is that God will be glorified. So when we meet our budget, when we exceed our budget, when the needs are met, we glorify God. And not to do so is robbing it from Him. Seventhly, we glorify God by leading people to be saved. You remember the experience of Peter and Cornelius in Acts 11? Peter was preaching and before the sermon was over, the Holy Spirit fell upon the crowd and those who were listening responded in faith and they were saved. And the Bible says this in Acts 11:18. When they heard this, they quietened down and they glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So when people are saved, God gets glorified. And we celebrate and rejoice when someone who was lost is found. And the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven, and that rejoicing ought to be reflected here on earth. And when we do that, we glorify God. When we share a personal witness about Christ, when we reach out to those who need a relationship with God, and then on Sunday we come into this place, and that man or woman or, or young person walks down this aisle and stands before us and says, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's when God is glorified. 
in a tremendous way. God is glorified when people are saved. Eighthly, we glorify God by living in unity with each other. That's what Paul says in Romans 15, 5 and 6. Now may the God who gives you perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another in Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice in one accord glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Christian fellowship is so crucial. That's why the recognition that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and part of the family of God is so important. That's why it's important for us to be of one mind and one soul in our commitment to whatever God leads us to do for the future. Because as we move forward with a sense of unity and purpose and commitment, following God, He will be glorified in one accord and with one voice. He'll be glorified. So let me give you the eight ways we glorify God. By acknowledging His Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. By obeying His commandments. By doing good works. By keeping ourselves pure. By praising Him. By giving generously to His cause. By leading people to salvation. And by living in unity with one another. Anytime you or I do any one or two or three of all of these things, God gets the glory. And we need to be captured by this important reminder from the Bible. You and I are living at this particular time in this particular place for one reason. We are here to live in such a way that to the world, we make God look bigger. We enhance Him. We make Him more beautiful and more appealing to the world that is lost. We are here to enhance His reputation. For the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So that's our purpose. To give God glory. And we do so by acknowledging His Son Jesus as Lord. Let me give them to you again. Obeying His commandments, doing good works, keeping ourselves pure, praising Him, giving generously to His cause, leading people to be saved, and living in unity with one another. Those are just eight of the ways that are mentioned that people glorify God in the Scripture. I'm sure there are others, but let's start and work on these eight. Bow with me. Father, if our reason for being here is to glorify you, then forgive us for taking that responsibility seriously, for failing to. And help us, Lord, to focus on our purpose for being here so that whatever we do, wherever we go, we do so to your glory. Whether it's talking to someone about you, or giving generously, or living in unity with one another, or obeying your commands, or living a pure life, or giving our lives to Jesus. 
whatever we do, we do so for your kingdom, for your glory. And when we do so, help us give you the glory. If someone asks us, help us point to you. And not smugly pointing at ourselves as if we could ever do anything alone. But it's always all you and only you and always you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.